Welcome, everyone, to the Michigan Film Vault podcast, uh, a podcast, unsurprisingly, about Michigan films. Um, and vaults. And vaults, yeah. It's, it's, it seldom comes up, but we are also a safe-cracking hobbyist website, <laughs> yeah. um, and we want to just talk about safe-cracking and the various vaults that uh, they're in, I guess, yeah. you know? So if you have any, please let us know. And we yeah, will. we don't have any or know anything about it. It's really more aspirational than anything. Exactly. Um, my name is Nick Noel, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Matt Giles. Hello, everyone. Um, and we have a movie for you uh, today, because <laughs> we'll be talking about uh, the Purple Rose Theater. What are they? Their film company, I guess. Something like Purple Rose Productions. I don't remember what the film company's name is. Yeah, it's not important. They probably don't want to be remembered for it. (laughs) Uh, But we were talking about the movie Super Sucker, uh, which was the second and last uh, movie done by this production company. Um, The first one being Escanaba in the Moonlight, uh, which we previously talked about. So, Matt, do you want to get us started? What did you think of this, uh, this this little gem here? I mean, it's very hard for me to not jump in and be like, you know, super super sucker, super sucks. Um, (laughs) But I just did it. So there it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of did it without doing it. So Hmm. that's what we mean when we say we're we're into safe cracking. I just I cracked that open right there. And oh, yeah, metaphorical verbal safes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. <clears throat> no one is safe from our criticism. See what I did there? <laughs> uh, Not even this group of local th- actors. Take yeah. that, low-budget indie film productions. Yeah. I honestly, I, I just, I don't know what this movie. I don't, I, I it's an hour and a half that I'm never going to get back. It felt um, longer. It did yeah. feel longer than an hour and a half. Yeah, and I, oh. I like. I just don't understand. Like, I think I read one brief like uh, snippet of a review that said like the movie has one funny joke in it, and like that's essentially the movie, which mm-hmm. it's true. Like, but like I just have to wonder. Like, did they did they come together and say, hey, you know, what would be really funny is if women were using a vacuum cleaner to get themselves off, and then they were like, yeah, let's make a whole movie about. That. <laughs> Like, because that is the movie. That's the joke, people. Spoiler alert! But honestly, it's not a movie that you really will be harmed by knowing what the premise is. Uh, um, no, and in fact, it's probably better knowing that going in. Um, yeah. Did you know it going in? Because I did. Yeah, I think okay. we had. I think we had referenced it a couple episodes back. Because um, I didn't know for the longest time, and then when we we came up with like our list of movies that we wanted to discuss for our uh our first season as it were um i think like i i looked it up and then realized like oh that's what this is because i always remember like i've gone to the purple rose many times to see the productions there which are always um great unlike these movies and they have uh you know escanaba and the moonlight and super sucker kind of in the display case in the lobby as far as like items that you can purchase at Mm -hmm. the purple rose so i was always like what is this movie with like Jeff Daniels with terrible hair and, you know, a mustache and holding a vacuum cleaner. Like, why is this a thing? And then <laughs> eventually I learned the, I, I, I don't know, is it a twist? The, the, the premise of the movie. And then was like, I don't know that that sounds any good. And mm-hmm. 
sure enough, I was proven correct on that. So, um, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can take this movie. And I think it's because I get the impression it doesn't know what it's doing. You know, like in, in some ways that like plays are allowed to meander um, because you're transfixed by the performances and, you know, plays are such an uh, ephemeral experience that you kind of want them to last a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do the same kind of thing in a movie. And I think that's where these uh, adaptations have struggled a little bit um, is that the plot for this meanders so much and I don't get, well, maybe, maybe not plot, but the tone meanders so much where I don't understand exactly what they're trying to say. Um, yeah. So let me like, again, we're going to disagree because I, uh, to start out with, I don't think this is a great movie or really even a good movie in that I don't know who would enjoy watching it, <laughs> but I do appreciate, I do appreciate small films that are trying to do something very weird. And at the very least, you can say this is a very weird idea for a movie. Yeah. And I, I, I we should say, too, of, of the two Purple Rose movies, this one is not, as far as I know and as far as I could tell even watching the closing credits, this one's not based on a play, like, unlike Escanaba and the Moonlight, which was Oh, it's not? First. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah. I, I kind of take that back a little bit. <laughs> well, well the, for some I reason, say- I thought it had been, but... I guess yeah, that makes no. more sense. Yeah, it's it's so it's a like I think the the first and I guess only Purple Rose production that was like designed to be you know just a movie. Um, but to your point, the thing that I notice about this and sometimes that I have problems with is like while I enjoy the theater going experience, I think with um, theater acting in particular, there's the desire to go big and go broad because you're playing to. Uh, a big audience I mean sometimes mm-hmm. a small audience but you're on stage so it's it kind of is um, a necessary thing to do you have to be big you have to project you have to do all these things and so everything can feel at times um, kind of amplified up to 11 and I feel like because these are all um, theater actors and I don't mean that in any kind of like negative slant or anything like that, but you could see this movie of like, they have this premise and everyone is just kind of playing it up to mm-hmm. that, that kind of level. And I think for me, that kind of hurts the overall um, experience of the movie because sometimes subtlety in, in a premise like this is a little bit better or playing it straight as opposed yeah. to, you know, going for the broad comedy um and this i don't know like even jeff daniels who is both a you know a theater actor and has also you know made it in you know mainstream movies and low budget movies indie movies all that kind of stuff he's i mean his character seems like he could be related to harry dunn in dumb and dumber in many ways so he's going for the big laughs too and i i feel like the premise is kind of like arguably maybe it's clever and i feel like with a clever idea or a one joke like premise i feel like you need to go for a little bit like playing it straight yeah and yeah what do you think though so like like it's like i was starting with you can you can look at a couple different interpretations of this movie and we might be doing two you know film theory 101 kind of to it but you know if you think about it as 
a movie that's uh, about the repression of female sexuality, it's interesting, you know, in that the uh, this is a thing that has to be hidden, so they they can't get a you know an actual sex toy. They have to buy, hide it by buying a vacuum. Um, but it's also you know to be maybe to overanalyze. I guess you can also show how like that uh, sexual dynamic also plays out um, in that all of this female sexuality that is um, being explored is for the benefit of the men of the movie. Like they're just treating this as a contest that they have to win in order to sell these fucking vacuum cleaners. Um, so I would have liked to have seen more if that's what this movie was trying to do, which I doubt it. Honestly, I doubt that's what the intention was, but you, you could make a case for it. Um, I would have liked to have seen more explicit uh, mentioning of that idea. Um, and I would have liked to have seen a shift of the main character away from um, a, a more more direct uh, shift of the character away from like needing to win this contest towards like more um, caring about the uh, sexual like lives of of the female population of his city um, <laughs> and allowing for that. Uh, that kind of uh, open conversation, um, you know, but I, I can't think of a, I, I know there's similar movies where like ordinary guys start selling weird sex stuff and then becomes kind of liberated, but I can't think of like what that movie would be. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring it out right now, but, but then also like, so at the beginning, they do this this kind of sexualization of vacuum cleaner salesmen thing to kind of set up the premise that, you know, vacuum cleaner salesmen going door to door are also like um, engaging in uh, sexual activities with the, the women of the house, you know, kind of um, that idea of the door to door salesman has a bunch of like indiv- uh, illegitimate kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's a premise that is quickly dropped and isn't really explored that much. It's like, what does that mean about like the the main character here um which I'm, but she does make a joke about it at, at yeah. one point to the the newer salesman uh like you know i remember I, his name his name's like howard butterworth i think but well, i don't remember what jeff daniel's character's name is uh let me see here he is fred barlow thank you yeah yeah but fun uh quick detour i don't know if you recognize this but um the uh the new salesman howard uh played by matt lester or whatever um he's uh ubard thon aka the reverse flash um, yeah on the on the flash tv series and as i've always known him because uh i you might laugh that like of all movies this is the one that i single out but um Mm -hmm. the mask of zorro the antonio banderas uh anthony hopkins Catherine zeta jones movie like it's a damn good movie, and he's the bad guy who kills uh, Antonio Banderas's brother in the beginning. <laughs> okay. All the people's heads in jars. So for me, he's always been like a creep. Uh, mm-hmm. So seeing him in in this kind of role was fun. And then learning, um, I learned a while ago that he was you know one of the Purple Rose actors because a friend of mine that I worked with at Detroit Public Television got to interview him for 
uh, a school project and I had no idea that he was a Michigan local. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, like as far as, you know, getting back to kind of like the premise that you were talking about, like Jeff Daniels at one point, Fred Barlow makes a, a reference to Howard, like, did I ever sleep with your mother? Cause you would have made, you know, and a, and a great Ill- illegitimate child yeah, yeah. Um, for me. And so, so they, they kind of play with that, but I don't know. I think generally to the points that you've been making, I wonder like, okay, if we're going to accept this premise as it is like, should it have been handled by a bunch of men making the movie, even though there are like several female characters and, you know, female yeah, I mean, sports behind it. Like, sh- like, yeah. is it really something that should be tackled by, you know, this kind of, this group of guys, I guess, um, is my question. Yeah. And I would say like both, both of those things, like the, um, the, uh, God, why can't I think of the word? The, um, suppression of female sexuality and the exploitation of female sexuality for the benefit of men are interesting premises to to relate to it's just i don't and and is and and in the context of this like super weird idea like i could see how that would be an interesting fun movie it's just they never hit on the things hard enough to like make it about that explicitly or make it seem like they're actually trying to make a point it always just goes back to this crazy man who loves vacuum cleaners like it always just comes back to the dude and the initial premise of like you know i loved my mother but i loved this vacuum cleaner more um and then you can like then you're looking like so is he viewing the vacuum cleaner as a replacement for uh, an absent father who may or may not have been a vacuum cleaner salesman um and that's another weird idea that could have been explored, but wasn't. Like, they, they didn't pick a lane. They just did everything. And so they shifted the tone of this movie so much that it's, it's so, like, impossible to, like, grasp what point they're trying to make. Um, and, and that's where I think, like, when you're trying to make a comedy, for instance, like, they just went with, like, well, whatever the big biggest, like, set piece or the biggest... Uh, action we can take that's what we're going to do instead of trying to make a point about uh, of our for our movie yeah so they just uh, have crazy hijinks you know yeah and none of it uh works for me i mean like the yeah. the stuff that ha- i mean this was i mean damn near unwatchable for me <laughs> like the, the, okay <laughs> it was i yeah in watching i was just like i get no joy out of this this, this may be the first time you haven't liked a movie where i can be like yeah i can see why yeah. yeah no i mean it makes sense or you know either any of your opinions or i'm like yeah i mean i don't agree necessarily but i can see uh, you're making valid points <laughs> yeah and um i it hurts too because i mean you know i love jeff daniels if anyone is is a is a staunch defender of all things jeff daniels like it's me for crying out loud and yeah. i i have i can't defend this movie at all i can't <laughs> like i just i just don't i mean I guess like Jeff Daniels is good in his role in the movie. Like, sure. You know, I, I, see, buy him. I think he's the weakest part. He's the least consistent and he's also the biggest part. So like, he's the worst part of this movie for me. So would you say then that, um, go not that, I mean, I don't know if you have the same, um, thoughts on his performance in Escanaba, but do you think that Jeff Daniels, the director working with Jeff Daniels, the actor is, putting his himself at a disadvantage in some ways. Do you, did you see any of similar things um, in Escanaba? 
I can say that it's hard to direct and it's hard to be the lead of the movie. And I think doing both of those things is very hard. And he's doing both of those things in, in both of these films. And it seems to me like maybe some of the threads were a little bit lost. Um, Like, and I don't know if whether like, I don't know how much they went out and they looked at this thing and said like, this is the thing we wanted to make. And if people don't like it, fine. Or if they were like, you know, we didn't hit it as much because we ran out of time or money or, you know, just couldn't, couldn't keep it all straight, you know? Yeah. But it definitely does feel in both of those, like the premise isn't that relatable. And if you don't have a relatable premise, you need to have it so that the characters believe it. And I think in Escanaba, they did a better job of setting a crazy world where the main um, tension in that movie made sense at least to the characters. And in this, it doesn't seem either way. Like, it's a crazy idea. Like, you haven't built this world enough so that I believe that it, it makes sense that women would you know, need to spend money on a, I have no idea, my guess is at least $600 vacuum, uh, maybe cheaper. If they're given $100 commissions, you know, it's got to be a substantial amount of money for the vacuum cleaner. Um, instead of just going and buying a sex toy or, you know, like, <laughs> well, and so you the- haven't built, you haven't told me because you keep going, shifting it to the male perspective. You don't tell me why this is necessary for the women to do it this way. Yeah, and that's the thing is like th- this movie I don't think is supposed to be set in any other period than, you know, the the early 2000s when it came out. And yeah. I feel like that like if you're doing something like this in I don't know, like say the 1950s, like Yeah, that's maybe- what I was like if this is set in 1955, it makes a hell of a lot more sense. Yeah. And the, but the other thing too is like to, like as you're as you're you know, making these, these valid points, the thing that I'm thinking, and this is honestly, this is just like, you know, uh, kind of like just questioning it out there, I guess, putting it out there for, for the masses to consider, but it almost seems like Escanaba, it was like a, like a movie for, you know, air quotes, the guys. And considering there's only two purple rose movies, Escanaba and this one, like, it, it it's like were they trying to say like okay we made our movie for you know again the guys let's make <laughs> a movie that we think will appeal to women and do it like this way like because i i just i don't understand what beyond like making a joke about a vacuum cleaner and maybe saying like wouldn't it be fun to film a movie over the course of a weekend i have no idea how long <laughs> this it movie took definitely to took longer than two days to <laughs> <Yeah>. film <laughs> no i know but also like it seems like it was kind of like that kind of idea. Like that's a yeah. funny joke. Like, wouldn't it be fun to get our group of friends together and do this, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's honestly like, I'm trying basically to think of ways that this movie can be justified into existence. So again, asking the question is like, is Escanaba the guy's movie and this, the gal's movie? Like, is that, was that the, the impetus behind creating this movie? Or I mean, cause I just don't understand like yeah. what about it was appealing I guess. and if if that's the case if that's the case like which probably not but let's just assume that it is if that's the case then having most of the cast be made up of men and have the production be uh 
directed by a man is another reason maybe why the film isn't it doesn't doesn't work as well you know yeah and i mean again it's just this disconnect for me because like you know i feel uh, comfortable saying that i've i've seen a fair amount of of jeff daniels work at the oh, thank Rose. god you're comfortable saying that <laughs> yeah yeah i'm very so, no the police aren't gonna be after you when you admit that you've seen jeff daniels work yeah well you know as you've as you've said before uh I really thought you were going to be like, I'm fairly comfortable saying that I've seen a lot of women fucking vacuum cleaners and this well, is not how it goes down. Yeah, that's also true. So <laughs> we, we have it on the record. No, I, uh, I, I think, what, what is the joke that Jeff Daniels will always talk about how humble Jeff Daniels is. So <laughs> Jeff so Daniels I'm, is so fucking humble. Yeah. So I'm, I'm completely the same way. I'm, I'm so humble about having seen all of this work from Jeff Daniels. That, you know, <laughs> There's no one with more humility than me. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, but no, where where I'm going with that is just that, like his his stage work, his the the plays that he writes. I'm also I'm often like very moved by. Like, there's a lot of um, stuff that he's done. Like when I've seen it, I'm like, wow, this is like the, he's connecting a lot of ideas here. There's a lot going on. And then similarly, in a lot of his roles, both in film and television. Um, he's really amazing. But then you get movies like this and Escanaba, neither of which I've really liked, but arguably where he has just as much creative control as he does with the plays that he writes. And I'm just like, where, what, what is the disconnect here? What is, how is it like going from one polar opposite to the other? Like to me, like if you're looking at the spectrum, it's like his, his work, his plays that he writes, are like prestige work and these movies are just like i don't know his id gone like way too far i guess like <laughs> that's what they kind of feel like it feels that schizophrenic to me and i just i don't understand why because he seems to have the same amount of creative control um because it's all well, through his theater so yeah yeah i mean there is an issue in in film of of not being constrained um, now, granted, like, there's no way this movie had a ton of money or, you know, anything like that. But still, like, if you're the one who's in creative control and you don't even have the constraints of a physical location that you do in, in, a, in a play, um, you know, you can, no matter where, what you're doing, it has to be on that stage. Um, it may be something where, you know, it's hard to edit yourself if you're if you're if you have that much control and that much power um yeah that, even on a low budget you know indie movie yeah well and it's i think to your point too like it it uh allows the movie to kind of get away from i guess any interesting way that it could have gone though i'm not convinced that it really like there was really anything more interesting uh to be had with this movie but like i'm thinking of you know near the end when the the howard character is on the back of a of a van naked with a vacuum cleaner hanging off of his dick like yep. i'm like what movie are we making now like because this seems like one of those <laughs> like like something i would see out of those one of those movies where it's like one night like the last party before like at the end of high school or the last uh -huh. party like before yeah. you go into college and we have like this crazy ass night and you know this person ends up naked with a vacuum cleaner on their dick like it just the tone going, I think you, you mentioned that earlier, like the tone is just kind of all over the place. And again, it's this idea of 
like taking everything up to 11 and going so broad with the comedy that like I just don't know what the ultimate goal was because at least to me there's not really a payoff in the end um you know no it's uh for for a sex comedy i guess uh, we could call it a, a sex comedy comedy or a comedy about sex um yeah they i think a them. comedy about sex rather than a sex comedy is probably yeah. probably accurate yeah they they blue ball themselves in the end it just there's no there's there's no payoff i guess mm-hmm. um there's no there's no catharsis because like you expect what i would have liked to have seen is you start out with this competition among men about who's going to sell the most fucking vacuum cleaners, <laughs> a thing that doesn't happen anymore. Like, <laughs> that's another thing. It's like there are no door to door, there are no door to door vacuum cleaner salesmen, much less two teams of them in one city selling enough vacuum cleaners to sustain it. Okay, <laughs> so you, whatever, Andy. get that out of there. But you would have liked to have seen this this competition, and then like a moment of catharsis or a moment of revelation where one of those characters realizes like this is stupid we shouldn't be competing we shouldn't be exploiting like we this is about like some sort of sexual liberation for the women of our town and also an understanding that the men of this town are not taking into consideration the needs of their partners like that would have been great but no instead it's like yeah and then i fucking won the contest yeah and I, I don't know about you. I know this this movie came out uh, technically. It came out first, but I don't think. Uh, and just follow me on this for a second. I don't think one could ever claim that Joker was ripping off this movie. But near the end, <laughs> when he's no, when he's, I don't think anyone would make that claim. <laughs> no, no, no. But again, just just stick with me for a second here. He's standing on top of a car at the end with a crowd of people cheering. And like, I think that's supposed to be the moment that you're referencing. And all I could think of was Joker, a movie that I expected to absolutely hate and somehow uh, actually kind of, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but I Mm like the movie a lot. I respect the movie a lot. Um, The ending of that with him kind of, standing up on the top of a car and like this mass riot happening throughout Gotham city. I was like, boy, I'm just, I'm, I'm seeing images of the Joker here. And uh, not that either movie was going for the same thing, but man, Joker did this much better than uh, this movie did. And I know one has a bigger budget considerably than the other, but like Mm -hmm. it's what I'm trying to call to attention is like the visual imagery there. Like, what are they trying to say at the end? They've got this entire city that comes together that's like cheering for him for, for this vacuum cleaner that can be a sex toy. And it's seemingly trying to pull up the same uh, feelings that one gets, um, depending on their perspective, at the end of a movie like Joker. Yeah. Um, and I think Joker kind of connects that uh, a, a bit better. Um, but honestly, like in watching both, like having seen both movies, it's like, it's it's bringing up kind of the same stuff i can see what they're going for but i also don't know what the point of it is um and yeah it's just it's one Mm -hmm. of many misfires with this movie but (laughs) yeah um there i connected it to joker you weren't expecting that in this podcast were you no no i wasn't uh i haven't seen joker oh man Um, i'm sure i'll watch it i 
I don't know. I don't know if I'll like it or not. We'll see. I didn't like again not to derail this entirely, but I truly, I truly did not expect. Like I do not like Todd Phillips, the director at all. I think like mm-hmm. he's abysmal. Um, <laughs> and so I went into Joker like just kind of fully ready to be like, this movie's gonna have to like work really hard at at winning me over. And Amber and I walked out of it. I think we saw it the um, opening weekend and. Um, we were both like, man, that was like really good and like a really hard movie to watch because of how it deals with kind of the realities of depression and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way that the system can fail people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of all one big joke, uh, in other words. Um, <laughs> but I was surprised. I was like, I guess like for all that I hate about Todd Phillips, he's the only one who could have made this movie because of his kind of uh, worldview on things so anyways that's my that's my mini review of, of joker uh, <laughs> purposes of this podcast. uh that wasn't made in michigan right so we probably won't do that one i mean <laughs> so i'm glad I'll, you snuck it yeah, in there like i always say i'll i'll find a michigan connection somehow <laughs> <laughs> um okay is there anything else we need to we need to talk about with this movie um did you like anything about it let's put that out there uh no not really (laughs) i'm I'm trying to think like i i guess okay if i like one thing it's the one line where the where the joke of the movie is kind of set up which is um when jeff daniels is explaining to uh matt lesher the 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 classic vacuum whatever the hell it's called and then he uh, he talks to him about the the piece that can reach those hard to to reach areas Mm -hmm. Um, and then he says it smells like my mom's old laundry hamper or something like that. And uh, it's kind of a gross joke, but like that made me chuckle. So I like that line that, that he says there. That's that's like the one. It the is. One. That is a pretty gross joke, but I can. Yeah. It's like, whatever. <laughs> that's, you know. the, that's the foundation of the movie. That joke is what the movie is. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does show. See, again, like that's where you see all these like crazy shifts where you don't know what this movie is trying to say like is it about how clueless men are to theoretically to the to the you know lives that their uh the the women in their life lead is that is that what this movie's about because like it, it it's setting up so much of what it could be about like if you watch the first 10 minutes the movie's about a man who's obsessed with vacuum cleaners yeah like and that's and probably it. had a weird relationship with his mom too Let's yeah yeah, just like everybody in this film seems to have. But, like, you know, is it about absentee fathers? Because that's also there. Like, nobody's, like, the main characters, nobody has any kind of, like, uh, parents. Nobody has any children, like, in yeah. this movie. Like, everybody is, like, essentially, like, adrift adults and, like, trying to latch on to this job as their identity and not just the job, but the selling of a specific kind of vacuum cleaner, uh, which, you know, to the point where like calling it a vacuum cleaner is, uh, an insult. Like, yeah, I, I, I should, I should revise that too. I'm, 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 I'm being quite harsh, harsh on this movie, but I do like a lot of the people involved again, because of, you know, mm-hmm. um, having seen a lot of them perform at the purple rose, like, uh, Jeff Daniels wife, uh, in this movie is played by Michelle mountain. And I think actually this year, like earlier this year, I saw her in a play that I feel like she also wrote and stars in but it was called never not once and it was about 
Um, she plays uh, a mother in a play whose daughter is trying to locate uh, her father and she doesn't know why her mom kind of never wanted her father as part of um, uh, the picture. And you find out throughout the course of the play that um, her, her father uh, may or may not have uh, raped her mother and she might be the offspring of, you know, non-consensual, non-consensual sex. Um, And Michelle Mountain is very, I mean, she's, she gives like an amazing performance in that. So after I, um, after I saw that play, I was looking up to see, you know, what else she had been in aside from uh, Purple Rose uh, productions. And she's actually done a fair amount of like acting work, um, you know, on, uh, in television and film. But uh, even though her role, like, again, is kind of minimized by the men in this movie, um, <laughs> I enjoy, you know, her, uh, her in the movie. I, like I said, I like Matt Lesher in the movie. Um, I think Jeff Daniels is, you know, fine doing his Jeff Daniels thing. But, mm-hmm. um, and I really do like uh, Harv Presnell being in it again. I feel like he's like, just kind of like a reliable actor. Like, even though in this one, he's their rival and in, in Escanaba and the Moonlight, he was, he was the father. Um, I think he, he's always believable. Like, I mean, again, I think I referenced uh, his performance in Fargo, uh, in, in Escanaba and the Moonlight when we were talking mm-hmm. about that. And he just like, whatever the role is in this case, being like the head of the rival vacuum cleaner gang, <laughs> uh, like he, you just buy him. Like he just, mm-hmm. you, you have like your premise, you have your sets, all that. And he just blends right in. Like you buy him. Instantly. Yeah. So I enjoyed that he was in this movie, even if he didn't really get to do that much. Yeah, I would agree. I, uh, I do, I do really appreciate the willingness of the cast to put themselves in awkward or um, at times uh, humiliating, if you want to say, uh, yeah. um, um, positions and, and costumes and, and choices and stuff. I think uh, they were all seemed really dedicated to telling the story as best they could. Um, so I wouldn't say it was any fault of the acting. I think everybody in it is doing a good job. Um, it's just the the story doesn't really hold together. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, this being the, the second and uh, uh, last for now, anyways, Purple Rose. Probably uh, forever. I mean, this was 2002. So. Well, the one that I'm, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about this, uh, you know, kind of privately, but uh, there's the, um, the the new movie that came out this year that's supposed to be pretty good called uh, Guest Artist, which is Jeff Daniels wrote it and stars in it, but Timothy Busfield, who was recently a Michigan resident, but I think has since moved back to New York, mm-hmm. he directed the movie, and it's kind of making its way around um, the indie circuit right now. But it was filmed in Chelsea, and I think is like kind of a partnership with, with the Purple Rose in some way, because it's all the creative people there. But again, it's more... Mm-hmm it actually looks like a well done movie from, uh, from the trailers. And I think it's, I'm hoping that it benefits from having Timothy Busfield, who's actually in addition to all of his, you know, his many television and movie roles, he's actually a pretty good director. Um, Mm -hmm. He's directed a lot of like the great episodes of, you know, I think the West wing studio 60, which was a favorite of mine. (laughs) Um, uh, But anyways, like, so I'm thinking that there might be more in, in the future for these, these purple rose productions, if that movie does well, but, um, but yeah, I'm hoping that one signifies a turn, uh, as far as 
you know, better quality than, than this one does. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, that, that could be interesting. Um, it's, uh, we'll see, I guess. It's kind of cool, you know, that I do appreciate also like, you know, local people who have connections and resources coming and, and doing things in Michigan. Yeah. Um, you know, that's nice. And I should say too, I've never. This movie was shot in Jackson. I've never been to Jackson, but um, you've if, never if, been I mean, to Jackson. Yeah, no, I've, ne- I, I truly, I've never been to Jackson that much. But yeah, well, I've never. I but even driving through it, like at first, I thought it was shot in Chelsea, so I was looking for like Chelsea locations, and then I saw like that it was it was actually shot in Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, again, to that point and to the point of our podcast, like it's fun to see things you know shot in various cities in Michigan. Um, but yeah, I don't, I have no connections to Jackson, so I can't weigh in any more than like, cool, it was shot there. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's gonna, gonna wrap up, gonna wrap up this episode, at least a, a, a wrap up our review of Super Sucker. Um, any, anything else going on with you? What you've been, what you've been up to? Uh, mainly, uh, for those who, who know me, I, uh, every December I try and watch 25 Christmas movies. So I'm, I've been, are they the same Christmas movies or do you have so, to pick different ones or? So I, <clears throat> I, I've made up the rules for my, for myself. Uh, sure. yeah. So I work in my favorites. There's a handful of like favorites that I try and watch every year. Um, you know, for instance, uh, like Batman returns, um, it's a a wonderful life the shop around the corner um you know just friends is another one that every year that i watch it's just like that movie just friends really i'm telling you go back and watch it it's a funny ass movie Um, i just doubt it i just really doubt it no okay i'm telling you um But I, I, every year I try and watch a bunch of new Christmas movies, like ones that I've never seen. They might have come out like years ago. But this year, actually, there was a surprising amount that came out in 2019. Um, so I've been watching a lot of those. Um, and I've, I've found a lot of new ones that I really enjoy. So it's, it's I kind of, I try and make it as fun for myself as I can, because it is fun to watch, you know, the classics, um, at least by our definition, you know, like the Home Alones, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But it's fun to check out like some, you know, like I, I found a really hard to find uh, French film that came out in 1999 called La Bouche um, about uh, with like Charlotte Gainsbourg and a few other, um, you know, famous French actors about kind of getting together during Christmas. And it's, you know, a movie uh, for people who hate <laughs> Christmas time. It's a very <laughs> cynical French film, but I found that one at uh, my local library. Um mm-hmm because you can't find it digitally so yeah it's 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 fun every year to try and you know find these these hard to hard to get movies and um you know under the guise of of seeing you know a new christmas movie that kind of thing so uh that's that's mainly been what uh my viewing habits have been uh for the month of december how about you um i don't know i i've been i have been not wanting to uh, indulge in any kind of um holiday movies um <laughs> like so kind of the opposite i uh i don't know i find them to be very oppressively cheery most of the time or like i don't uh, i'm not a huge huge fan of of the holidays in general um they're okay but <laughs> it's just a lot of obligation that you have to do um so i haven't really been doing anything with that i've been uh rewatching 
The Simpsons a lot. So that's been fun because uh, it's on Disney Plus. So you can watch pretty much every episode. Where do you um, fall on the uh, the the debate, uh, or or do you even care? Because the the big thing that came out was that Disney announced that they're going to fix the aspect ratio yeah. issue in in the new year. So um, I I usually don't care about that stuff. Like with films, um, I've always best been like, well, you know, I get why they had to do that stuff. I mostly would rather see it in in full screen rather than than widescreen sometimes but you know as tvs have gotten better and larger uh that's become less of an issue um so you know i'm happy to watch it in widescreen at this point um i never got like because they always used weird examples like you know when you cut this off you can't see the chair in the corner or something it's just like (laughs) yeah who cares um but with the simpsons and uh a lot of it is visual gags that they're cutting off um and so I can see why um, wanting to put it in a, in a different format would be better. And I've, I, like I said, I got less, I, I cared less and less about the black bars on the side or on the top um, than I used to when I was a lot younger. So now, like, I think it would be good if they could go and adjust it so that those, um, those jokes uh, actually play. Yeah. I mean, because so, I guess where I was going with that was, were you tempted to wait? Um, until they they corrected the issue so that you could watch it as no. a, I mean okay <laughs> I'm not it, like a purist I just think it would be nice if they did it well because here's here and again I don't want to like go on too much of a detour but um this is I mean for me like I'm all I, I keep the older I get the more like just random like weird shit I find that I'm just like no one's interested in this except for me but like you know, cool. I'm interested in it. Um, I, what, and one such example is that I will go, I will frequently like, um, go on YouTube and find old Siskel and Ebert reviews and like episodes where they talked about like very specific things going on at the time, um, Mm -hmm. in the film industry. And I know that I'm not unique in that, but I mean, like, I've been doing it a lot lately because I just, I find myself missing the writings of, of Roger Ebert a lot more lately. And so it's fun to go back and, and mm-hmm. watch some of these old uh, reviews. But anyways, they, there was one where they talked about um, letterbox versus pan scan. Yeah. yeah. As uh, it pains me to admit that when I was younger, I was, um, I was always on the wrong side of uh, <laughs> the argument on these things. Like I, my VHSs were always full screen. I did not want the black bars as it were at the mm-hmm. top and bottom of the screen, but they were using, I think it was in 89 or 90. They were, they were having this, this argument because it was the only way that you could get the letterbox version of certain movies was um, if they were released on laser disc because the, <laughs> the VHS companies didn't want to do it because of the way people's TVs were and consumer complaints about it. And so the way that Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel were trying to present their argument was by showing um, scenes from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And it's a scene when um, Indiana and Henry, you know, uh, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery first get together in the movie and it's a scene that when you see the pan scan version they have to keep cutting back and forth to each of their respective shots which is not the way that spielberg intended that scene to play out and then they showed Mm -hmm. the normal you know letterboxed version and showed the difference there 
And so anyways, long-winded way of saying, like, I was curious because this whole aspect ratio with the Simpsons proved to be, like, um, kind of fiercely debated, at least on <laughs> um, some of the social media platforms that I was seeing. And it, it called to mind that example of pan scan versus letterboxing. So, yeah. Yeah, I just find that stuff interesting, I guess. But No, no, I remember, like, it's it's nice that we don't have to have that debate anymore because TV's changed. But yeah. uh, I remember, yeah, I remember, you know, what was that, like 20 years ago, something like that, when we were... Well, it was even, I remember, I remember it being, like, because I was, I, I'm telling you, I was way on the wrong side of the argument right up until I couldn't buy full screen anymore because I remember it being when of all movies pirates of the caribbean the original of johnny depp um you know wow. the, first, the first one were they I still was, having vhs then or no no, no this no. so this okay. was dvd but yeah but it was still think, like that not everybody had white i mean still not everyone but widescreen tvs weren't as as prevalent yeah and that was the thing is that i the they only released that DVD in particular in widescreen format. And I remember going to buy it at Pest Buy and being really pissed that I had to only get the widescreen version because I was always used to full screen. Mm-hmm. And then sh- somewhere around that same time, the original Star Wars um, trilogy got released on DVD. Like we had already had like the gold box, you know, VHS release. And then it was coming to DVD and they released both the full screen and the widescreen box sets for those on DVD. And I remember asking like someone at Best Buy, like, okay, this happened to me with, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) What one should I be getting? And he gave me this whole spiel about uh, widescreen and why it was better. And so that was the the moment that I switched my thinking and started Mm -hmm. going with widescreen. Um, So yeah, just, you know, (laughs) we can all change people. It's possible. You just have to want to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at least when it comes to what format your videos are in, yeah. not like not like easy stuff like uh, your outlook on life or uh, your career. Nobody yeah. can change anything about that. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I think we we've got another episode down, buddy. I think yeah. we did it. I think we uh, we did at least a good a job as Super Suck- Super Sucker is a movie. <laughs> Yeah, we you can you could almost say that we've you know we've put another Michigan film uh, into the Michigan film vault, couldn't you? Couldn't you? Say Are that? we? Is that the uh, okay? We need to talk about this. <laughs> Are we taking them out or putting them in? I think. <laughs> what is the idea? Uh, maybe there's two vaults, and we take it out of one. It's like of an in an in pile and an an in vault and an out vault. Yeah, like and we have to take a, one out and be like, hmm, does yeah, this deserve to go into the vault? Yeah, like let's say there's a general vault of all movies. Of all movies, we are, okay. We're, we're, we're taking it out of the all movie vault and putting it into the so so vault. that postulates a world <laughs> where every state and and probably every conceivable aspect of a movie has its own podcast and own vault where you have to look at every movie and see if it falls into that category so it then can be put into that category's vault. No, see, this is where you're wrong. It's just, a, it's just a crazy filing system that requires a massive vault in order to store it. 
and the use of the Dewey Decimal System. Let's not. Okay. Let's not. So within it. the vault, there's a Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It's a very. Uh, once you get it, once it's like un, 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 uh, unlocking the code. Once you get it, you, you'll you know the filing just makes complete sense. But what I was going to say was there are not multiple vaults here. We are we are such pioneers that there are only two because no one else has thought to do this kind of this Michigan focused podcasts or in their other respective states have they thought to do a similar thing we are such renegades there's no no florida film vault because quite honestly who would rather listen to that stuff than listen to you know our genius uh on this podcast so you know yes exactly truly as humble as jeff daniel (laughs) god Um, the humility in this podcast (laughs) is just ridiculous hey do you think the dewey decimal system would have been as as popular if it hadn't incorporated alliteration like if it was the i don't know horowitz decimal system like people might not have like wanted to do it as much yeah i don't know i feel like dewey is very is very specific like because i feel i feel like people were using it as a verb at one point like you can dewey it or something you know like yeah like so i feel like dewey is the key there it kind of sounds like a question because it's like do we decimal system yeah i don't know maybe we should (laughs) yeah well i was always you know growing up watching these damn disney shows i was like we got the dewey decimal system what happened to the huey and louie decimal system (laughs) that is the worst thing i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what so i'm gonna take that one i'm gonna throw it back into the general vault that that yeah yeah we got it we're not keeping that in our vault. no no hey um not to belabor this podcast any longer, but have you watched any of the new DuckTales? No, I have not. Um, okay. But I am excited, related, you know, because it's all things ducks right now. Um, mm-hmm. I am excited that all of Darkwing Duck is on Disney+. Plus. Uh, <laughs> um, that makes me happy. So uh, Yeah, it's, it's a little weird. Uh, I tried to watch it. I don't know. I think I need to be in a different headspace. And no, I don't mean high. Um, <laughs> But it, it's it's organized strangely, so it's it's not how I how I remember it being. And I don't know. I really like the new Ducktales because I, I enjoy the actors so much. Um, that's the main reason. And then they I don't know. They do they they write m- more modern funny jokes into it. But um, the older shows I've had a hard time watching. You know I. I I tried to watch DuckTales. I just found find everybody's voice to be so annoying. <laughs> and um, Similarly, I, I worry with watching, you know, any of those other ones like Tailspin or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have children, but that's not going to stop me from watching cartoons. Yeah. I feel like at this point I should admit to you um, that I've, st- <laughs> of all shows, I have no defense of this, but of all shows, what I just started uh, going back and watching are, <laughs> old episodes of murder she wrote and i'm sure i'm finding them very entertaining so um, (laughs) you know 12 seasons plus four movies uh after that there there were four murder she wrote movies yeah the show ended in like 96 and then between 97 and 2003 there were four uh murder she wrote movies so wow you know and each of the 12 seasons are like 22 plus episodes so uh Few years from so much murder she wrote. I will report back on the other side of this in a couple years and let you know, (laughs) uh, you know, my my takeaway from murder she wrote. Well, 
I mean, I don't really have a leg to stand on because I just finished watching all of The Mentalist. So <laughs> that's like it's like know. the unfunny version of Psych. Why would you do that it, to yourself? I don't know. I don't know. I I enjoyed it, um, sort of. I like having I like procedural mysteries with like weird main characters. Like Super. no matter what, you're gonna find something fun, whether it's like ooh mystery or like oh that guy's like quirky or like look at these stupid dynamics they have with the ancillary characters. Here's here's what I'll say. I I have my shows like that too. Admittedly, I for me it was the original CSI with because um, I loved William Peterson as Grissom on that show. Uh-huh. But then going back and trying to, like, because I, I remember there were a handful of episodes that I really loved of that show, and then I went back and watched them, and they don't hold up. At, like, I mean, the show was never, you know, great or anything like that, but as far as me really enjoying it, like, kind of now with the the crop of new shows, um, it doesn't, it, certain elements of it don't really hold mm-hmm. up. But the one that and this is where i go against the grain on everyone on um of all the law and orders the one that i will defend um with my dying breath is law and order criminal intent because no one is better than vincent d'onofrio uh as robert gorin and to your point (laughs) about um like these kind of quirky characters what they do with his character on that show um particularly when warren light is running the show um they do a lot of uh, like they add kind of this dark background to his character. Like he's basically um, the son of a serial killer who is played by Roy Scheider. Um, and his huh. mother was abusive to him in, in ways that um, made him question his own sanity. So his whole reason for being a detective is like quite dark. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, okay. I, I definitely understand the appeal of, you know, procedurals and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, for me, it's criminal intent in the original CSI. So that also reminds me of that show, um, Prodigal Son, which yeah. has a very uh, similar premise, basically, yeah. like son of a serial killer becomes a, a cop, essentially, or a criminal profiler in this case. But um, it's, uh, it's not a great show, but Michael Sheen... Michael Michael Sheen, right? Yeah. Does he just does he just choose scenery the entire time? I feel um, like it's you know, he's, he's a little bit more subtle it's some of the time, but not all of the time. <laughs> and I don't know. It's it seems fun. Yeah. Um, everybody, it continues the um, we're going to hire a British person and make them do an American accent for you know several seasons. That classic tradition. Yeah. Exactly. That the mentalist did it, so mentalist well, did it one, with two characters. The one that I I only watched the first two episodes to it, um, but it's supposed like I've heard nothing but like good things. Like the only reason was because I was trying to watch a million other things at the time, so I plan on catching up while I'm uh, off work for you know the next week or so. But uh, it's called Evil, and it's from the same. Um, oh, uh-huh. yeah, it's from the same group of, of people who created. Um, uh, God, what am I? Why am I drawing a blank on it? Um, the 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 prestige law shows that aired on on CBS, um, the Good Wife and the Good Fight. Um, oh yeah, that's on. Yeah, yeah, and they, I don't, they also, they're they like also, they're a, they're a writing couple. Yeah, but I don't remember their names right now. 
Yeah, and they also did um, a show that I really loved that only lasted one season, but it was a comedy called Brain Dead. Um, yeah, well, wasn't wasn't that only intended to to go one season? I think so, because uh, it it ends kind of perfectly, but it's also a fun like take on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Um, but anyways, this show Evil, a lot of people call it um, like the X Files for like religious. Uh, um, religious crimes or crime with like a religious mm-hmm. aspect aspect to them. And it actually is kind of really interesting um, and really dark. So that's a new kind of crime procedural if you're interested. But That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a uh, Michelle and Robert King. Yeah. They're those yeah. people. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, now that we've proven that nobody should actually be listening to our opinions about entertainment at all, <laughs> Since we've been watching DuckTales, The Mentalist and Criminal Intent for apparently uh, eight years or whatever. Hey, don't um, bury the lead. Murder, She Wrote was in there too. And I feel like that legitimizes us. So uh, I don't know, buddy. I just... <laughs> mm, let's let's take a step back and really think about that. Um, First step is admitting that you have a problem. Exactly. Um, so we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Uh, thank you, everyone who's been listening. Um, if you have suggestions, uh, you can tweet at us. Um, or, yeah, that's about it. Just talk to us on Twitter. Um, we're going to be at Michigan Film Vault. You know, you can find us. It'll yeah. be there. Um, if, if you like the show, you know, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, we'll be on all your major podcast platforms. Um, or, you know, just... Uh, just tell somebody, get down, yeah. have a listening party, you know, like get down with your friends, uh, crack a couple, uh, Fago sodas and, and put on the dulcet tones of Nick Noel and Matt Giles. Um, and just then discuss, you know, you can watch the movie as we talk about it. Yeah. And you know, don't be afraid to use like old forms of communication. Like, I don't know, carrier pigeons, just put, just yeah. attach, just attach a review to a pigeon. See where it goes. It's if you could get um, somebody from the Pony Express to uh, charge on over to my house, you know, switching horses every hundred miles, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, yeah. Don't be afraid to like, you know, uh, come up with old ways of, of sending us your, your reviews and your thoughts. Cause we'll, we'll take anything at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Thanks everyone. <laughs> Thank we'll you. you